I hope that you this morning here are children of God, that you've experienced His grace, that you have been saved, that you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. If not, that is certainly our prayer and our hope and our expectation that God will make you aware of your need of the Savior, that He will draw you to Himself, that you will respond in repentance and faith, and that you will become a child of God, a child of the King. When you do, you begin walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I want us to stick pretty close to the text, uh, Colossians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the last few verses of that chapter this morning. You will remember, we're going all the way through chapter 2 in just two weeks, which is miraculous, miraculously fast for me. But it, it's got one constant theme, one one cohesive thought. Paul is telling these people, Jesus is all. He is everything. He's not just divine, he's deity. In him dwell the fullness of the Godhead. He is all, and he is all we need. And so the Christian walk is a walk. The Christian life is a walk. It's described as a journey, a trip, uh, a, a traveling along with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want us to read this text together. We're going to begin in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, and go through verse 23. Paul continues what he started last week, warning about human tradition, warning about the rudimentary elements or the the elemental spirits of the world, the Old Testament rules that have been completed in the Lord Jesus Christ as distractions. And he says here in verse 18, Let no one disqualify you. Now, the word disqualify is a very interesting word. In the Greek, it's the only time it's used in the whole New Testament. As a matter of fact, it's not often found in contemporary Greek literature of the day. Uh, Some people think that the root of that word you would be familiar with through some of the movies and some of the classes that we've had in school potentially about the Romans in the Colosseum. When their soldier or their gladiator, their representative would win, they would give a thumbs up and there would be applause. But when their soldier would not or their gladiator would not do what they wanted them to do, then they would make the sign of the thumbs down. You guys seen any of that? And that's the kind of idea that's carried in this word. Don't let anyone look down on you. Don't let anyone count you out. Don't let anyone remove you from your reward here by leading you off the path. And so far we've just got four words in, but let's pick back up. Let no one disqualify you. How? Insisting on asceticism. Now we're going to go further into that word in just a few moments because Paul does. And the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Sensationalism, emotionalism is what he's dressing there. And, verse 19, those folks are not holding fast to the head, that's a capital H, he's speaking of Jesus Christ, the head of the church, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligament, grows with a growth, That is from God. There's the goal. There's the purpose. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Now we're back to asceticism. Don't handle. Don't taste. Don't touch. No, no, no. Referring to things that all perish as they're used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting this phrase, self-made religion and asceticism 
and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Several years ago, Stephen, my son, Chris Blackwell, who's back there with him right now, and I took a backpacking trip. Now, we all have widely divergent memories of this trip. I thought it was great. We planned the trip. We packed our packs. We uh, decided who was going to carry what. And I don't remember. We're carrying somewhere between 40 and 70 pounds apiece on this trip. It was going to be a casual stroll 20 miles down the Chattooga Trail. In case you don't know, 20 miles in a pack through the woods, up and down those hills, is not a casual stroll. But we, we, at the beginning, it was, it was euphoric. The weather was good. The drive up was good. We went to the golden corner of South Carolina, the sun shining through the trees. We were walking with maybe not a spring in our steps, but certainly high knees. I mean, it was a pretty exciting time as we began the journey, and I felt pretty good about the trip. We walked, we saw these trees. Some of this was just looked like untouched forest, wilderness wandering, explorers walking through the forest. Stephen and Chris, as we started, were talking, joking. We were all interacting together. It was good times. Did I mention 20 miles? In the hill country of the Golden Corner, right there where Georgia and South Carolina come together. Now, my memory's not perfect, and you can talk to them about this later. Chris did give me permission to tell you this is why he doesn't like being outside anymore. He doesn't camp. Uh, but I had to be back in Greenville Wednesday night. We started on a Monday. And I think it was about, it was about 20 miles, right? 22 miles? Uh, and I had to be back in Greenville. We hadn't covered as much distance as I anticipated we would day one. And so the end of this hike, it went from being a leisurely, explorative, shared, euphoric experience down the trail, listening to the wind and the trees and the birds and listening to the rivers that went past and seeing the canoers and the kayakers. And it ended up being a forced march with backpacks up and down hills in the summer. So what started as a euphoric, emotionally high experience became a difficult journey. The only real joy on the last day when we got to the end of the journey <laughs> was getting to the end of the journey. We, we were able to celebrate laying the packs aside and getting off of our feet for, for a while. As I said, the Christian life is described as a wall. We discovered some joys, by the way. If you have not seen the mosquitoes that inhabit that part of the area, we'd love to. We, we can talk about those. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you knew this, but bees live in the woods. We encountered a few of those along the way. Went to bed one night. I was really impressed because I had brought my little camp stove and we made grits and ate grits. And then the next morning I got up and the backpack that I had rented for this journey had a hole in it and some little creature had eaten the rest of our grits. And so it was a pretty exciting time. But I got to tell you, it was not all emotional highs. It was not euphoria. The Christian life is described as a walk and a journey. You remember Paul's encouragement in, to the Christians here in verse 6 of chapter 2 where he says, Therefore, if you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, to stick close to this. We walk with Him, yes, but we walk in Him. And that is a distinct difference. The Christian life is a life that is consumed with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives Himself to us. We give ourselves to Him. And He is all, and He is all we need. He is all 
And He is all we need. He is sufficient. He is all that we need. But there are tempting sidetracks. There are tempting or temptations that will lead us off the trail, that will take my attention and my dependence of off, off of Jesus. Paul already warned against human tradition. You can get so habituated in religious activity that that particular religious activity takes preeminence over the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul warned about the elemental spirits of the age. He warned about the Old Testament practices that these people were chronologically close to and emotionally close to, but they have been completely fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they go away. But these people were saying, no, it's Jesus and circumcision. It's Jesus and Sabbath. It's Jesus and dietary laws. As a means of maintaining intimacy with Christ, and those have been replaced by the person of Christ. It's important that we understand those things. Today, there are two more warnings that can take us off the trail that can stop us. We just read them. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you. And they will assist on, some of them will assist on asceticism, on denial, on self-denial. We'll get to that in a minute because while Paul introduces it here, he develops it further on. But then the next thing he deals with is, and... Worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So there are two warnings here. One is against asceticism. The other one is against what I'm going to call sensationalized Christianity. Emotionalism. Mountaintop experiences. There are people that were coming to the Colossians and they were saying, God has spoken to me and here's what he said. And my life is characterized by visions and by dreams. And my worship experience every day is just a spiritual high. Peter warned about the same sort of thing. If you look in 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, I think we have that on the screen. Peter warns them and he says, hey, listen, there were false prophets before. There are false false prophets now. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you what do they do they secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction he's warning against what's coming for those teachers but how do they act many will follow their what sensuality it's all about emotion. It's all about the senses and the feeding of the senses. It's all about the emotional high and sensationalism. And because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. What is their motivation? Their greed. All right? A greed is a part of it. Their greed, they will exploit you. And how will they exploit you? They make up stories. They give you false words. They'll tell you their experiences that at the very least they embellish, but sometimes they make make them up out of whole cloth. They invent the story from beginning to end. And they're condemned because of this. Listen, this is what Paul was concerned with them about. This angel worship, this uh, sensationalism, this vision, these people who will look down on you and say, your spiritual life, you aren't singing and dancing every day. Every day with Jesus isn't sweeter than the day before. Every experience is not an emotional high or a mountaintop experience. And they'll tell you their stories and their experiences and their vision. The spiritual life for them is less about the person and the value and the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ and more about how it makes them feel. Oh, I feel so good. I just feel so blessed. I just feel so warm. 
just feel wrapped in the arms of Jesus. Now, can you experience that as a Christian? Absolutely. Hallelujah. I hope you do. But lest you think that that is normative for the Christian life, that the Christian life is mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop, it's miracle and vision and dream and emotional high after emotional high after emotional high. Jesus didn't say it was. Matter of fact, Jesus said, characterizing his life, he said, they persecuted me, now they're going to make your life easy. Is that what he said? They persecuted me, what can you expect? They will persecute you. They hate me. They're going to hate you. Uh, In this world, you will have, what? Mountaintop experiences and joy and euphoria continually. No, you will have troubles. Now, don't be afraid. He says, I have overcome the world. Listen, one of the things that can draw us away is not only this sense of inferiority because some people are on a spiritual high all the time in my life. Sometimes it's just hard. It's not only mountains, it's valleys. We just sang a song that talked about he's God of the mountain and he's God of the valley. Folks, valleys exist. And spiritual life is a long walk. It is a lifetime journey resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not that there's not peace, and it's not that there's not comfort, and it's not that there's not joy. But it does not mean that we are to seek those things, that those are the goal of our spiritual life. It's not about seeking the emotional high. We need to not be drawn away from walking with Jesus by religious sensationalism or a search for emotional highs. Yeah, there are times when, those times in your life, when walking in Christ, you get victory over sin. And it feels good to be set free from an experience that God has already set you free from, but now you get to walk in that freedom. There are times when you're going to be reading the Bible, and your daily Bible reading, even an Old Testament prophet, prophet like Nahum or Habakkuk, particularly. And you will see a truth there that the Lord applies to your experience in your life. And there will be that sense of intimacy and celebration. There are times when you will sing a hymn or a song. Or you will go to a worship service. And the music will seemingly usher you into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will feel closer to Him. And you enjoy those times. And you celebrate those times. The emotions that follow, listen to this, the emotions that follow God's working in your life are a wonderful byproduct. They're a wonderful consequence of God working in your life and of you keeping your eyes on Him. He is all and all you need. The problem comes when we start seeking those emotions, when we start trying to follow our feelings. Rather than following Jesus. And that's a big deal, guys. Don't follow your feelings. Let feelings follow. You hear me? Don't make your life about chasing a feeling. Don't follow your feelings. Don't follow your emotions. Let your emotions follow truth. Ask anyone who's been married seven years about the emotions of personal intimate relationships. You know the kind of phases that go through. I'm going to summarize these really quick because I'm short on time. But when you first see that girl, guys, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, your eyes dilate, your mind, you get infatuation. You guys know what infatuation is? 
It's an emotional high. It is wow. I do premarital counseling. I've talked to a lot of people who are like, even to the extent of, I don't know how we're going to survive, but we don't need food. We'll live on love. Yeah, we'll see. Got news for you, that doesn't work. After marriage, infatuation, which there's a lot of joy in marriage, don't misunderstand me, but sometimes infatuation turns into frustration. People come to me and they say, I don't feel like I used to feel. There was a time when he or she made me feel great. Now they smack their lips when they eat. (laughs) They leave towels on the bathroom floor. And my goodness, they squeeze the toothpaste tube from the top instead of from the bottom. Can you believe how barbaric they are? And life becomes filled with little frustrations. And it's not infatuation anymore. It is commitment. Understand me, no less commitment. No less commitment. No less endearment. As a matter of fact, I will tell you, you don't really understand the depth of commitment and love until you walk in faithfulness through the frustrations. Amen? Until you walk in faithfulness through the difficulty. And it results in depth. You don't get to a 50th anniversary based on infatuation. The depth is we are growing together. We are committed to each other. There are great days. There are good days. There are just regular days. And then there are bad days. But I can't imagine life without him. Can't imagine life without her. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't chase emotional sensationalism. Jesus is all. And he is all you need. And he is God on the mountaintop. And every time you have a mountaintop experience, you celebrate. But he is God in the valley. David, the psalmist, who wrote most of the psalms in the Old Testament that we have recorded in the book of Psalms, he didn't wake up every morning on a mountaintop. Read the Psalms. It's like, today I will worship you. It's like he woke up and said, I have to worship you today, and so I'm going to worship you today. And by the time you get to the end of the Psalm, he is worshiping God. He didn't start that way. He had to determine. He had to resolve. I am resolved. He had to, by faith, trust and walk with Christ. You guys remember the story of Elijah in the Old Testament? I love his story. We typically like Mount Carmel where he took on the prophets of Baal. It was a mountaintop experience. And I won't go into detail. Look it up. It's great stuff. It's a mountaintop experience and God answered his prayer. He is God's faithful prophet speaking to the king, Ahab, speaking to the queen, Jezebel, speaking to the people of Israel who have gone apart to worship Baal. And after their priests failed to show any signs of life because they aren't alive, he places the altar, pours water on it, asks God to consume it with fire, and fire comes down on the mountain. And don't we want a fire on the mountain experience? I want a fire on the mountain experience. Where is Elijah two days later? He is 100 miles away through the wilderness in a cave questioning God's favor. I want you to understand the Christian life is a journey. And sometimes when we went back in Medi, they were, 
they were downhill experiences, and those were good. By the way, it's not downhill as in crash and burn. That's downhill as like, I don't have to walk up this hill with this pack on my back. And then you get to the riverside. I don't know if you guys ever been on the Chattooga. They do rafting and kayaking on the Chattooga. And the wind blows, and you can hear the animals and the birds, and you hear the, and you see the guys in the kayak going past. It is a great experience. But sometimes you've got to go uphill carrying a pack with a bee swarming around your head and a spider crawling up the back of your neck. It's not a pleasant. It is a journey. And there are experiences that we have. You can be emotional. Christianity engages your emotions. Don't be driven by emotions. Now, I need to get to this last point. This last point is kind of easy for us, I think, for the most part. It's the first word that he used, asceticism. When he says that there are those who will come to you with asceticism, don't be disqualified them. I looked up this translation for these words in different translations. King James Version calls, uses the phrase voluntary humility, meaning false humility. Pretending to be humble when in reality they're not. As a matter of fact, the New American Standard says they delight in humility. New Living Translation, for those of you who read that, I really think that resonates best with the text they have Pious self-denial. I'm religious. I'm holy. There are things that I cannot do. A mock humility, the Amplified Bible calls it. And how is it characterized? Do not, do not, do not, do not taste, do not touch. Do not, do not, do not. Do you know anybody who lives a Christian life based on what you cannot do? Do you? Is there much joy there? Is it about the Lord Jesus Christ? Sometimes, uh, don't misunderstand me, there are prohibitions, clear prohibitions in Scripture. The Bible says, as a child of God, there are things that you do not do. There are things that yielding to Christ, being obedient to Christ. There are behaviors and thoughts that we release, that we let go, that we repent of, that we turn away from. But when those rules become supreme when they become more important when external behavior even self-denial becomes more important than pursuing an intimate relationship with the lord jesus christ we're off the trail we're off the trail you need to be careful that you are drawn away from walking with jesus by settling for religious rules don't settle don't settle it is true that we are to keep our life free from the love of money and to be content with what we have. For He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Paul had a conviction about food. He said, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. There are things that you need to follow the convictions that the Holy Spirit gives to you. But a statement about food is that it's created by God. It's the same statement that, that God gave to Peter on the tanner's rooftop. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he's dealing with the church at Corinth, Paul says, all things are lawful, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And there are times when we have to say, I am not going to participate in this thing that I have the freedom to participate in for the good of others around me. It will be detrimental to them. And so we deny ourselves. But where does self-denial lead you off the trail? When it becomes more about your piousness, your piety. When it becomes more about your personal holiness. When it becomes more about who you are and your behavior 
than about what, who, who Jesus is and what he has, has begun. Really quick, when it comes to food, you guys like food? I'm a food guy. By the way, I appreciate the Fosters for hosting the guys this weekend. And one of the things I was told early on is you guys got a lot of good food this weekend. That's a good thing, isn't it? I'm going to preach on the sin of gluttony this morning. <laughs> no, let's talk about this for a minute. What is gluttony? That's when food becomes God, basically. Your God is your belly. Are you with me? That's when... I want it. Not only do I want it, I want to satisfy my desires. And this becomes really important. And I have no limits. Gluttony. All right? What is the other end of that? I can't have it. I can't have it. All right? I can't eat. I can't participate. I have to fast. I have to deny myself. Asceticism. I have to make it hurt. I want to tell you that God does not... God has given us all things for our enjoyment. But all things for our enjoyment are dependent upon our relationship and obedience, walking step by step with the Lord Jesus Christ. Either indulgence or asceticism, both are a ditch. The question to ask when you make decisions is, what is more important to me than walking with Jesus? What is, what is it here in this circumstance, in this situation, that gives glory most to the Lord Jesus Christ? I need to close. Listen to me. The whole point of this passage. Listen to me. If you're here and you're a believer, get this. Don't get off the trail. Here's the point. Jesus is all. He is God. He is sufficient. He is the Savior. He has completed His work on the cross. And if you are in Him, if you are a believer, He is all you need. Any path that is unwilling to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only and all-sufficient Savior is an indulgence of the flesh leading to an increase in sinful pride. So what do we do? We do what they did not. In verse 19, it says, or 20, it says they, they left. They no longer hold fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with growth that is from God. So what do we do? We hold fast to the head. We walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love Him. We worship Him. We open His Word. Jesus is the living Word. He has given us the written Word. We open His Word and we study and we learn, we allow Him to feed us, we trust in Him, and we walk in obedience to Him. There are two ver verses that make up the application point of this. All right, Don't seek sensationalism. Don't seek some form of asceticism and flaying of your own flesh to find some sort of acceptance in God. You are accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can, did you get that? You are secure. You are accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do I do? Micah 6. We have a very clear statement. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. Who is he? God. God has told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. And to love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. It's a walk. Day by day by day. Okay, I want... In the New Testament, there's a phrase that keeps recurring, quiet obedience. You guys know what quiet obedience is? <laughs> it's just faithfulness. It's not seeking sensationalism. It's not some sort of false humility or false piety. It's not depending upon the flesh. It's just trusting in who God is. 
the Pharisees got pretty frustrated with Jesus and they finally in their frustration said, what must we do to do the works of God? They were all about works. This is John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. What must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered them. And I want to tell you that his answer to them is the same as his answer to you. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him in whom he has sent. It is trusting. This belief is more than just a a mental acknowledgement. It is trusting. It is walking in. It is abiding in Christ. So how do you stay on the trail step by step? Step by step. Keep walking. There'll be times when you'll lay down your pack and sit on the shore and watch the canoes and the kayaks and listen to the birds and the wind of the trees. You'll be seated on the mountaintop. There'll be other days when you shoulder your pack and you look at the next hill and wonder if you're ever going to make it to the top. But you do. You will have days when you enjoy the cool breeze and days when you enjoy the mosquitoes and the spiders and the bees. Ultimately for us, we made it to Trails End. We're alive. We were wondering a time or two, didn't we? But we made it to Trails End. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 is all about making it to Trails End, folks. It's all about our security in Christ and the future that He has for us. In the meantime... I want to close with a quote from a Rich Mullins song. Step by step. O God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. O God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning. I will learn to walk in your ways. And step by step, you lead me. And I will follow you all of my days. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all. He is all we need. He is the sufficient Savior. He is life itself. I pray that if there's one here who does not know you, has never responded to the gospel, has never surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you will convict them and draw them to yourself, that you will give them life in Christ. But Father, for those of us who are believers, believers, Help us to continue to walk in the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that we received Him. Don't let us be just seeking for an emotion or follow where the winds of emotions lead us or some sort of sensationalism lead us. Keep us on the trail with Christ. We thank You for the blessings and the highs that we do experience, but help us to realize that they are a consequence of Your work in us and they're a consequence of Your completed work and they're a consequence of our quiet obedience step by step. Father, I pray that You'll keep us from the the sin of gluttony. I pray that You'll keep us from the sin of putting our trust in our own self-denial. We don't want to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow You. Father, we don't want to put our trust in our self-denial. We put our trust in You and what You've accomplished on the cross. Today, we simply praise and exalt you. In your name I pray. Amen.